Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a programme where we let our thoughts wander over issues to do with cars and transport. I'm David Brown. And in this programme, we take a look at the latest news stories, including the New Zealand government launches a smarter transport pricing project. What you may be charged if you use your car. We talk to David McCarthy from Mercedes-Benz about their upcoming Me store, whatever that is. We also talk to the Managing Director of Subaru Australia about their new XV small SUV model. And in our panel discussion with Brian Smith and Errol Smith, we take a cheerful look at stories including thermal cameras have become smaller, cheaper and easier to handle in order to count traffic. But you won't believe what they might also be able to record at a personal level. Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au or you can listen to longer segments of each of the features by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. Now, to begin the program, let's have the news. The New Zealand Government and the Auckland City Council have established an Auckland Smarter Transport Pricing Project to investigate whether or not to introduce smarter transport pricing in the city. Smarter transport pricing involves directly charging users for the use of roads with charges potentially varying by the time of day and or location. The Government has been quick to point out that the project will look at pricing to ease congestion rather than raising revenue. The government's preference is for pricing to primarily replace existing road taxes in the long term. The project has three phases, baselining and gathering evidence, shortlisting of options, and identification of preferred pricing options. They are currently developing a public engagement approach. A proposal for a bus rapid transit system in Doncaster in Melbourne has been made by global public transport company Transdev and infrastructure investor John Lang. The project arose through the Victorian government's so-called market-led proposal process. This has produced a number of projects, often for road tolls, that have been proposed by private industry. Bus rapid transport is not just a bit of priority for some old buses. The proposal is to create a specific corridor for buses in the Median Island using purpose-built, high-capacity buses. They propose to build and operate the BRT system for 30 years in return for outlaying $500 million on infrastructure. Transdev is involved in bus rapid transit operations in Bogota in Colombia and the French cities of Rouen and Nantes. Car manufacturers are expanding way beyond the usual image of vehicles for enthusiasts. Ford has announced that it will open a dedicated smart mobility innovation office in London that will target the development of smart travel technologies while focusing on the specific requirements of European cities. The new office will give a dedicated team of Ford specialists access to world-class digital companies, leading academic institutions and existing partners. The office is within the new UK Innovation Hub, which was previously the press centre in London's Olympic Park, and is being transformed into one of the biggest tech hubs in Europe. 
As ride-sharing company Uber stumbles from one management and PR disaster to another, its other major competitor, Lyft, is pushing its environmental objectives. Uber has created an image of modern, aggressive business. It has taken a head-butting approach of stand aside or lose a limb. It has even started in locations before it has permission to do so. Lyft is no shrinking violet, but it has also embraced community issues. The company has pledged to cut its emissions. They list their environmental benchmarks as all electric autonomous vehicles operating on the Lyft platform will be powered by 100% renewable energy starting in Boston later this year. By 2025, Lyft's shared platform will provide at least 1 billion rides per year using electric autonomous vehicles. And Lyft's efforts will reduce CO2 emissions from US transportation sector as a whole by at least 5 million tonnes per year by 2025. Dahua Technology has developed a new compact thermal camera that may enhance the detection of cars, cyclists and pedestrians. They claim that thermal cameras outperform other detection technologies by detecting the heat given off by everything in their field of view. So unlike traditional video cameras, they do not get confused by the sun's glare, darkness, headlights, shadows, wet streets, snow and fog. Dahua has launched an entry-level thermal camera that is less bulky and more competitively priced. The Arizona Department of Transportation has approved a $3.7 million project to construct a first-in-the-nation thermal detection system on Interstate 17 which will monitor wrong-way vehicles and alert other drivers and law enforcement officers. Full installation will take seven months, and the performance of this pilot will guide further expansion. And that has been the news. In the next six months, Mercedes-Benz will open a new kind of shop in Melbourne. I tackled David McCarthy, Senior Manager, Public Relations, Product and Corporate Communications from Mercedes-Benz, about what's going on. I see reported in Go Auto that you are having the first me shop in Melbourne. Mercedes me, yeah. Can you describe to me what that is? Oh, it's going to be gorgeous, David. <laughs> the word gorgeous, okay. I think I'm starting to get the tone of this here. What, what will it sell? What will it look like? It's not a facility that exists to sell cars. It's to introduce people to the brand. We'll have a couple of, of partners there, St. Ali with coffee and uh, others with food. And it's an exhibition space. It's a meeting place. We will have some product on display, but it's not a dealership as such. It's a brand statement. There are seven others in the world and uh, in Australia where it's going to be. Some of your listeners will be familiar with the Rialto complex in Collins Street. The Mercedes Me store will be on the ground floor of where they're redeveloping that on the corner of Collins and King Street, which actually is now with the expansion of Docklands is effectively the centre of the CBD and gets a lot of foot traffic. And we made a decision and... Stuttgart supported it for us to open that Mercedes Me there. So, but it's not a tradition. It's not a dealership as such. Well, you said product will be on display. I presume that means more than just cars. There may be, you know, a, a small amount of that. But I presume it will be fashion items. I could buy a watch with Mercedes on it. Is that the sort of thing that I might see? Um, look, 
in a retail sense, probably we will do some of that, but it's not it's not there to sell product. It's for people to experience the product and to introduce them to the product and understand the product. And as I said, also for exhibitions and events and a place for people to rest and refresh, get something to eat, something to drink and experience our brand at the same time. I remember years ago that Dunhill were making very elegant cigarette lighters before political correctness came in and they realised that their competitors were not other manufacturers of cigarette lighters but manufacturers of gifts, be it the elegant pen or the nice watch. In a way, is that a little bit of a background that Mercedes is not just selling a car with a certain engine and fuel consumption, it is selling a lifestyle? Yes. Uh, you know, as a brand, it's it's regarded as it's the second or third most valuable automotive brand in the world. It's certainly an aspirational brand. And, you know, we sell a very large amount of Mercedes-branded merchandise. Uh, we have partnerships with a number of other a number of other companies as well and people like to be able to do that to be able to buy a mercedes watch or a jacket or a polo shirt or a wallet or you know a briefcase or whatever and you know we're, we're pretty happy to satisfy that the fact that you sell vans and trucks is an indication of crossing a number of boundaries if i might finish on this one thing i think the future of autonomous vehicles should not be sold purely in the sense of the individual but really has to be sold in the sense of a transit function as well, and strongly as well, I believe, that issues like not 60-seat buses, although that could be part of it, but pods will be an essential part of actually making a sustainable city and that autonomous vehicles, simply because of a lack of road capacity, will not be able to solve every idealistic dream we might have of transport. So are you going to... enhance your development of different sorts of vehicles which carry a number of people for example oh absolutely and and the pod is is one way a passenger car is another now a bus is another and trucks i mean if you think about the potential for autonomous heavy vehicles that can operate you know from point a to point b with absolute safety then that has a huge commercial application. Same with vans. You know, we're experimenting in, in different places around the world with vans that have little robots in them that can deliver parcels. Mm. So they get dispatched from the van and they take the parcel to a, a drop-off point, leave the parcel and they come back. So, you know, there's so many opportunities there with that level of autonomy that will deliver real benefits to people. I have no doubt about that and to the environment. Well, David, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. And that was David McCarthy from Mercedes-Benz Australia, and we will discuss the Mercedes-Benz Me shop in our quirky news segments that are on our website at drivenmedia.com.au. This is Overdrive across Australia. In 2012, Subaru launched the XV onto the Australian market, their smallest car in their current fleet. The latest XV is over 90% changed from the previous model, with a few extra off-road features but a host of comfort improvements. 
Subarus are car-like in their on-road performance and competent in off-road capability. Where does the new XV fit into that continuum? Colin Christie is the Managing Director of Subaru Australia. The small SUV market has tended to be more cutesy than tough. Is your attempt with the new XV to toughen the image of it in its looks and its uh, capability? I think it's more about just making sure the car is actually capable of doing what a lot of people will actually want it to do. So we talked in there about the you know design with attitude and built for fun, and that's exactly the, the underpinnings of this car. It's a it's a fantastic car to drive around the city, but it's incredibly you know capable off road. In fact, you've always had that tough image in a way, not tough in rough and tough, but certainly competent off road. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. I mean, all of our cars, obviously, uh, other than the BRZ, have all wheel drive, symmetrical all wheel drive, a standard. But I think in this product and you'll, you'll drive it tomorrow obviously but you'll see that it really is a very capable SUV. I noticed a mate of mine bought one early, a, a Subaru, because he was a, a, a hydraulic engineer and went out to dams and things. So it was one that was both comfortable to drive and had that ability to go into the muddy spot if he had to. That's part of the market, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely it is. I mean, I think the design's come a long way as well in the last probably four or five years, and the cars are you know, great to look at. They drive well. They're, the interiors are a you know, massive step up, um, really quality interiors. But at the end of the day, their underpinnings are they're a you know really capable car that can pretty much take you anywhere so um, and you're right you know back to the sort of 10 15 20 years ago people bought Subaru because of its capability uh, I think we've now added the the fun element to it and made that capability really enjoyable and fun and allow people to go and actually experience what they want in the 52 pages that were elegantly provided for us uh, <laughs> wonderfully uh, I noticed that it wasn't till page uh, 23 that I got the engine performance it's it's not to say it's bad, it's to say perhaps, you, as you were saying, that the focus is really on being crystally clear as a good sedan car. Look, I think there's just so many good things to talk about this car, to be honest. I mean, the, the handling and drive is incredible. I think the interior, as I said, the infotainment system all stand out. But the engine, is a, it's a good engine. It's a very strong, solid, powerful engine, um, and it'll do exactly what you need to do. So it was less about, um, I think it was just more about we've got so many good stories to tell with this car. But it's also changing the market, really, isn't it? That the old style was always to talk about power and performance, whereas there's now far more dimensions in a car in what people might like. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, customers don't look for just, and it depends on which market they're going into. Um, just looking for absolute power doesn't necessarily tell the story of what that car can actually do. Um, and that's what we're trying to do now. We're, we're trying to you know, understand what the customer wants in terms of a product and making sure that the car meets it across every aspect. Safety is a big issue, and you do get your iView um, in the, fir the first step up, not the base model. Do you see, with the push towards automatic emergency braking is five-star later, do you see you moving into that in the future for all the models? Look, I think that's absolutely on the cards for us as a brand. Um, safety has always been a critical element of what we do. Um, as Hip mentioned earlier today, you know we're moving away or moving past now the the standard um, scoring metrics and looking at real-world situations. Um, you know we're one of the first brands to introduce technology, the autonomous emergency braking, and all the host of other features that come with EyeSight. Um, and we've started to move that progressively down through the range. So the new Impreza, the new XV, now have that for the first time. Um, and absolutely, as we progress 
OS, you know, um, I think every model will at some point in time um, be looking at those sort of technologies. There is the final step into the, the top model, which gives you a whole pile of lane departure and other safety features. Uh, do you think many people will take it up for those reasons or for the luxury reasons? Get the safety cell uh, more now than it has? Um, I think uh, safety is always a challenge because it's maybe seen as unsexy. I think the reality is that the um, the safety technologies in the car are more. It's more about you know your family, um, you know protecting yourself, but it's more about just being comfortable and and you know feeling really safe in the car. So the safety cell, more or less, I think the underpinnings of, of what we provide is extremely important for families and for everybody in the market. To be honest, um, yeah, but we're now starting to package that up with you know really striking design and um, and as I said interiors that are you know certainly you know close to top of class if not top of class so. it's multi-dimensional uh, it has to be these days I think I think the reality is of just having a safety story or having a performance story isn't enough anymore you've got to actually show the customer how this car can fulfill their lifestyle thank you very much for your time no thank you and that was Colin Christie the managing director of Subaru Australia And Overdrive has a new feature on our website, a video of our first impressions from a car launch. In this case, of course, the Subaru XV. This is Overdrive across Australia. And finally for the program, let's talk some unusual news stories. On the line, we have back uh, Brian Smith. Okay, Brian. G'day, David. And Errol Smith. Okay, Errol. G'day, David. G'day, Brian. Now, Brian, you will know as a traffic transport planner that there is a lot of new technologies going about to being able to detect cars. Most people may not know, but at the stop line of traffic lights, for example, there are loops cut in the road and they detect the magnetic effect of cars. But of course, things like cameras and video is now being enhanced enormously. Uh, Brian, I think you would see that as being a way of getting a lot of good information. Oh, the more data we can get and the more better ways we can sort of track what people are doing, the better we can plan for them. The thing about videos, for example, is what happens in the wet or the fog or the night. Is that hard to detect vehicles and see what it is? Is it picking up bikes as well? Well, apparently there's a new thermal cameras out. They've been out for a while, but they're now making them smaller, lighter and cheaper, which would be able to detect the heat effect. And so you could pick up pedestrians and cyclists and cars, of course. Brian, again, that might give us more data, mightn't it? Well, indeed. Uh, One of the biggest problems, of course, with most cameras used in transport planning now or traffic engineering is, um, you know, they don't work all that well at night. So if you can, we're talking here about things called FLIR cameras. They're forward-looking infrared cameras. The military uses them to to sort of, uh, you know, help with navigating and such like in low light conditions. So, you know, if, if we can start to track people uh, and understand what they're doing and how many people are in vehicles at night, it uh, would be a very useful thing. The problem with any survey uh, method is that it might pick up unintended consequences. <laughs> yes. And uh, Errol, I think... So you'd know if someone has a cold, for example. Oh, OK. They have a temperature than somebody else. Would that also give an indication, if it was very accurate, of how far they were spreading the cold? I suppose oh, it would yeah. lose heat. If you breathe out, then obviously there must be some temperature there. But it might be just a little bit too close. But the other one is whether you might get a an output from the other end. Oh, like a, a gaseous uh, emanation yes. sort of thing, David. 
Well, I believe these things are high tech enough to do that, to um, to actually tell if uh, uh, if somebody's letting off a reek, I guess. Are you refer- you're referring to an organic exhaust stream? <laughs> Errol, you're picking your words very carefully, and I appreciate that. The issue is that perhaps not ones that you would set up to detect cars, you're not going to pick it there, but I wonder if they might not then be put in train carriages so as to shame people and therefore discourage them from letting off in the middle of carriages that cause offence. Because it could be recording them. It's kind of like that, uh, that supposedly you can add a chemical to a swimming pool. So yes. someone weaves in the pool, it changes the colour. I'm not sure it's ever really worked that way, but uh, I guess the, uh, we'll the keep, air keep equivalent telling that. The kids that. We'll keep telling the kids that, though. Ah, that's the point, isn't it? That perhaps it's the threat of it that might make it a little less likely that you do it. I mean, quite often it happens in aeroplanes too. Well, not quite often, but it seems to uh, be prevalent in those environments. Speak for yourself, David. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I don't know if it's the people I travel with, but the point is that it's always a very confined and unfortunate instance. So perhaps we might be able to pick up other activities. Apparently, uh, the they've tried to introduce smell-o-vision into the you know security monitoring centres, but that just doesn't go down well. Is there something else that uh, apparently with the thermal thing that you know people with a bald head you can actually draw a picture on it and it absorbs heat? You know, if you do it with the substance. Yes, there's there's all sorts of videos online of uh, of people um, drawing on animals, including people with ice. And you can sort of <laughs> see the uh, outline because the, uh, the these pictures show cold as dark. And there's a there's a there's a video of someone who's basically just chewing on an ice cube, and it looks like there's sort of blood coming out of his mouth. Ah, uh, right. Because <laughs> it's all because it's dark and cold. <laughs> Fantastic. There was also talking about measurements and trying to make a point when you know you're going to be measured. You can now buy a t-shirt that has the Fourth Amendment in America printed on it in a material or a a substance that will mean that it will be highlighted in an X-ray machine. I I think the the Fourth Amendment is about privacy or it's something to do with uh, not being... Uh, over measured from the government's point of view and so when you go through there there's the fourth amendment oh so this is for for people who want to be even further delayed <laughs> yes yes annoying annoying yes. security guards come this way please sir yes <laughs> let's let's put you through the ringer yeah. let's walk, walk you, take you into this special room uh-huh. <laughs> here's big john <laughs> he's got very large hands <laughs> Uh, I'm talking about uh, being at an airport. I was in an airport yesterday and uh, a gentleman sort of came up behind me and he he was blind and he had a dog. And uh, the man behind the counter saw that he was someone that might appreciate some uh, particular attention. So he said, sir, sir, would you come this way? And he pointed to the right. (laughs) The dog understands it's not the dog. Yeah, mate. And the guy said, I'm, I'm sorry, what? And he said, can you come this way? And he pointed again. This way. And the guy said, I'm he blind. Hand in front of 
wave his hand in front of him. Oh, can I tell you another story? We were at, at breakfast about to go out on the launch of a new car and uh, they went through all the things and we'd been given 53 pages of material about how this new car had been developed and how good it was and so on. And, uh, you know, there's a huge amount of technical information and, and it was an important car. And so they gave us, you know, that we're going to get out and we're going to drive it. And they gave us a briefing and they said, oh, we'll get going now, but don't worry. We're going to stop at a quarry because we're going to test it as a four-wheel drive or an all-wheel drive car. Is there any questions? Whoosh! A guy put his hands up immediately and they said, yes, yes, uh, you know, obviously concerned if there was any technical point they wanted to cover. You know what the question was? Is it real coffee? At the <laughs> priorities, David. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Shocking. Uh, yes, maybe you can detect that with the thermal camera. Oh well, that's true. You'd be able to zero mm. in That'd where the, the, the coffee was. Although I tell you what, one person left their phone behind and they didn't know where it was. They just didn't have their phone and got into the find the phone and immediately it located where it was. You know, the technology is wonderful, really. It uh, was very, very helpful. Now, Brian, is, you've got a story for us or, or is it Errol? I do, David. Uh, China used to be uh, known as the bicycle kingdom until the past few decades saw the car rapidly pushing bikes out of the way, literally most of the time. But they're making a comeback with bike-sharing schemes resulting in millions of new bicycles on the road. But this is having some unintended consequences. And one of those has been the tens of thousands of broken bikes the schemes generate. And this has created the Great Wall of Bikes in a Beijing, a Beijing back street. It's hundreds of metres of bicycles just all stacked on top of each other. Tens of thousands of bicycles, all all exactly the same colour. They're all yellow. These are uh, broken, are they? The uh, needing to be repaired. One of the, yeah. one of the issues I think with um, all of this sort of uh, disruptive mobility stuff, and and you know the new sort of uh, mobility as a service and sharing economies where we're having bike sharing schemes, is that you know the private sector just wants to to sort of flood the market to. Mm. To compete, and so I think this is part of the problem. There's something, you know, something like 30 different companies are, are just throwing cycles into China, and and they're almost valueless. So they have a bit of a problem in in China where um, they have a system now where you can just leave the bike anywhere. You don't have to take it to a to a special sort of bike hub or anything like that, like you do in some of the Australian share bikes. All right, gentlemen, that is uh, wonderful. Thank you very much for your time. There is, David. You're welcome, David. Brian Smith and Errol Smith, and we were talking some unusual stories in this uh, unusual world of as it evolves of motoring and transport. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to David McCarthy, Colin Christie, David Campbell, Errol Smith and Brian Smith and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can listen to longer segments of each of the features by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.